Okay, 6-1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to them, he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he stood, he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, sorry, after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for being able to gather here. Thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country to gather and to worship together. And Lord, um, it is humbling to when you look at what's happening in the Ukraine, to be invaded and to uh, have fighting around us, and that's something that we've never had here, Lord. And I just um, thank you for that and just pray that we would not take it for granted, that we would have open hearts to your word and to the gospel, Lord. And Lord, just uh, teach us this morning from Pastor Andrew as he shares from your word and uh, just use it to draw us and uh, make us more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. and We're going to be talking about a very uh, dangerous and important topic, and that's the topic of legalism. And legalism may or may not mean much to you, but it is a, a deadly thing. It's deadly to Christianity, deadly to community, uh, deadly to uh, the unity of the church, uh, deadly to growth in Christ-likeness. But legalism is also slippery, which is to say uh, most people don't wake up and say, well, I want to be a legalist. And most churches don't have as their mission statement or as the name of their church, First Legalist Church of whatever area that they might be. Uh, but legalism is hard to nail down. Legalism shows up in odd places. Uh, legalism uh, can be that which sneaks its way into the nooks and crannies of our hearts. It's a con man, an expert con man. Legalism pretends to be your friend, but it exchanges the joy and the liberty and the freedom of Christ with heavy, heavy burdens. Thus, there are many what Osborne in his, his book calls accidental legalists 
or you could say accidental Pharisees, because Pharisees and legalism, sadly, were often uh, uh, very, very similar. There are two, uh, well, I should say that when it comes to legalism, there are, it's very, very broad. Like I said, it's slippery, and it comes in all shapes and forms, but I, I think we can categorize it largely under two uh, big headings. One is uh, capital L legalism. Legalism with a capital L, or you could say uppercase legalism. Uppercase legalism is where I seek to do whatever I need to do to earn God's pleasure. Uh, Uppercase legalism, uppercase L legalism is, is trying to earn God's love through doing lots of good things. And admittedly, we know that that we're not perfect, and God knows, though, that I I try hard, and I do the best that I can, and I I also most certainly know that I'm I'm not as bad as, as that guy over there, right? In short, uh, capital L, legalism, uh, thinks I must improve myself, I must clean myself up, I must show myself worthy to be accepted in Christ. You could call it do-it-yourself religion. Do-it-yourself religion. Trust in yourself religion. And nothing could be more opposed uh, to the truth of God's word. The Bible says that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and goes on to say that it's not of yourselves, it's not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Salvation must be the gracious work of God because our sinfulness is heart deep. Our best deeds, the scriptures say, are worthless before a righteous and holy God. So instead of trying our best, We must recognize that our best over 10,000 lifetimes isn't good enough. We must turn from our sin and self-righteousness and place all of our hope and confidence and joy in Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. But so I hope you can see from that very, very brief summary that capital L legalism is deadly. It's deadly. It's essentially saying that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't quite enough. And I need to do a little bit more to make sure that I am good. I would also point out to you that that kind of legalism has no assurance. No assurance whatsoever. You'll always have this vague, nagging feeling that you're not doing enough for God. There's actually a hymn of the legalists that someone wrote, and it goes like this. I hear the Savior say, you're not doing enough. Work your fingers to the bone. I will save those who are tough. Jesus paid it some. I will do the rest. Sin had left a crimson stain. Now I will give my best. For now, indeed, I'll try to earn your love and grace. I'll add the works I have to complete the price you paid. Then there's a refrain. When before the throne, I'll give my deeds to you. I'll hope I've done enough to make you let me through. Make sure you sing that a few times. Make sure you do that enough, right? That's, that's the hymn of the legalist. And it couldn't be any more wrong. If our works could be sufficient, then Christ died for nothing, Galatians says. True salvation is graciously given to those 
who trust in Christ and Christ alone and his finished work on the cross. And when we recognize that and we, we turn from our sin, we seek the Lord's forgiveness for our sin, and we, we place our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and capital L legalism dies, so often in its place sprouts up lowercase l legalism. What's that? What's lowercase l legalism? Well, lowercase l legalism is essentially reducing Christianity to a, a list of rules of, of do's and don'ts. And as I keep that list of rules and do's and don'ts, I feel pretty good about myself. And when I don't keep that list of rules of do's and don'ts, that I feel pretty poorly. But, but also what I do with that list of do's and don'ts is I judge others accordingly. If, if you can't keep up with what I think Christianity is, this, this list of do's and don'ts, then I think poorly of you. I, I may even condemn you. In other words, lowercase l legalism is, is, is when I create rules like this, that I will read the Bible first thing every morning for an hour. And I will, again, feel good about myself for doing that if I read the Bible first thing in the morning for an hour. And if you don't do that, well, shame on you. I really question your Christianity. And I will pray for you. Which, by the way, I do that for an hour every day, too. And so should you. Oh, you're not doing that? Oh, man. I'm very worried for you. That's lowercase l legalism. Now, don't misunderstand. Should we read the Bible? Yes, absolutely. Should we pray every day? Yes, absolutely, of course. But the Bible does not anywhere say that it must be for an hour and that it must be first thing in the morning. If that is a standard, reading the Bible for an hour first thing in the morning for you every day, if that's a standard for you and that works well for you, praise God. Do so as unto the Lord for his praise and glory and your edification, but don't condemn others who don't do the same. That's where it becomes legalist. And by the way, just like capital L legalism, lowercase l legalism also has no assurance. You will always worry if God is happy with you. You'll always worry if you're doing enough. You'll always be thinking, am I witnessing enough? Am I praying enough? Am I reading enough? Am I doing enough? You feel like you're the hamster or gerbil on that wheel, right? Spinning, 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 spinning. So all that to say, that's this morning's topic, legalism. And what I'm going to try and do as we work through this text is give you uh, three telltale symptoms of legalism. And ask yourself, am I a legalist? Are you a Pharisee? Are you a legalist? And then I want to show you the cure for overcoming legalism. The first symptom of legalism is you elevate your own opinions. You elevate your opinions. What if... Josiah and I, your pastors, decided, passed down a decree that members of Orangeville Baptist Church could not take more than 1,999 steps on the Lord's Day. And that if you took that 2,000th step, you would be placed facing church discipline. What if we did that? What if we forbid you to carry your Bibles to church, and some of you got some pretty big Bibles, because they are so big and they're so heavy that that's work. 
That's work to, to lug that thing around. What if we did that? What if we forbid you to do that? What if we added subparagraphs to the Constitution that prescribe disciplinary action for those found guilty of carrying a pen, lest you be guilty of writing with it too much, which would be work, and, or carrying a needle lest you be tempted to sew with it, or helping those who are sick with non-life-threatening maladies, by the way, because it can wait till Monday, what's, what's the urgency, and looking in the mirror, removing dirt from your clothes and things like that. What if we did that? I think you'd be looking for new pastors, right? I hope you would. (laughs) I share those examples because those really are Sabbath laws that the Pharisees came up with for keeping the Sabbath Saturdays. Pick it up in verse 1. Verse 1 says, On a Sabbath... While Christ was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. And if you can just picture in your mind, it's not like there were well-paved roads, right? So it was very common to, to walk through grain fields. So common enough that the law of God in Deuteronomy uh, gives some thoughts for it, some, some laws on what to do as you walk through your neighbor's uh, fields. So in Deuteronomy 23, 24, uh, the word of God says this to the nation of Israel, that if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. That's Deuteronomy 23, 24. And you say, what does that mean? Well, you had long journeys and there are no such thing as quick marts or drive throughs and on your long journey, you're wandering through these fields, and you start to get hungry, right? And the scripture is saying that it's okay if you get a little bit hungry to help yourself and eat some grapes, but don't go shopping. Don't get out a bag and fill the bag, right? Take your fill. That's neighborly. It's loving your neighbor. The next verse, Deuteronomy 23, 25, says this, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain... I hope you see that connection to Luke 6.1. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, listen to what it says, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Same idea again, right? If you're walking through your neighbor's standing grain, you're, you're wandering through, it's okay to help yourself, but don't get out a sickle. Don't start harvesting. Don't make a living off of it, Right? So connect that back to verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. That was not a violation of the Scriptures. That was not a violation of God's law. And yet the Pharisees jump on it in verse 2 and say, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? What's going on here? Why do they say uh, that it was not lawful? They say it was not lawful because they added a whole bunch of their own rules and to-dos and not-to-dos to the Sabbath command. The Sabbath command was very simple. It was not complicated. Six days out of the week, you can work. But that one day, the Sabbath, the Saturday, you will not work. No work was to be done. The people of Israel were to rest. Even the animals were to to rest. 
The Old Testament law, however, gave very few details as to what actually constituted the kind of work that may or may not be forbidden on the Sabbath. So what did the Pharisees do? They came up with a list of their own rules. In fact, they came up with 39 different expressions of what they called work and that was prohibited on the Sabbath day. And by creating those 39 additional rules to that very simple law of God, they made the Sabbath a burden. That day was supposed to be a day of rest and joy in God and his salvation and looking to him and enjoying him and his provision for them. But the religious leaders turned into anything but that. They turned into a day of stress and anguish and burden. Listen to some of these laws. And by the way, these aren't These ones date back a little bit past the life of Christ, but they're still doing this today. They're still doing this today. You you can buy books about it. But here's one law. One law specified that a Jewish man or woman could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. But if an object weighed half that amount, you could carry it twice. Go figure with that one. If, if, if the Sabbath began as you were reaching for some food, right? You're reaching out for some food and the Sabbath begins, you've got to drop that food. Do not bring that back to your mouth and eat it or you're guilty of carrying a burden. Nothing could be bought or sold. Clothing must not be washed. You could not take a bath on the Sabbath for fear that water would splash out onto the floor. And clean it. A chair couldn't be moved at dirt floors, right? Lest by pulling it out, you create furrows on the ground. A woman could not look in a mirror lest she might see a gray hair and pluck it. Those are real rules that the Pharisees put in place, that they called work. That's the backdrop to Jesus and his disciples picking the heads of grain and eating. What the Pharisees are asserting in verse 2 is that when the disciples picked the grain, they were reaping. When they rubbed the husks together to separate them from the grain, they were harvesting. And when they took the husk and threw it Well, that's winnowing. And according to their 39 stipulations, that's work, and you're breaking the law. So I hope you see what they did. They elevated their opinions, their guidelines, their rules, and put it on the same level as this, right? And whenever you do that, this becomes more important this becomes less important. It becomes about keeping this and not this. That is how you become a legalist. You take the general commands of Scripture, such as do not work on the Sabbath, and you begin to apply it in very personal and specific ways, and then you judge others accordingly. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. 
Remember that legalism is slippery and slimy. It sneaks its way into the, the nooks and crannies of our heart. And so we read verses like 1 Peter 1.16 that says, Be holy because I am holy. And we determine, well, that means in our house we will never watch anything that's more than rated PG-13. Or maybe your house is PG. Maybe your house is G. Maybe your house has no TV at all. We make that a standard for 1 Peter 1.16, and then we begin to question those who have a TV in their house or watch that PG-rated movie. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And so we say, well, that means I'm to read the Bible and pray first thing in the morning. It says, Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. Then I'm going to read the Bible first thing every morning. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the world. So that means I will not dress a certain way. I won't wear that hat backwards. I won't wear shorts that go, are shorter than my knees. I won't wear makeup. I won't go to movie theaters. Those things of those sort. I won't play cards. And we question the seriousness of others if they do that. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So then, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And you determine, well, that means I will never, ever, ever drink soda because that's unhealthy and therefore isn't glorifying God with my body. And I will judge others who do. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. So very, very clearly, as parents, we are responsible before God to train up our children in the way of the Lord. But what we begin to do is we prescribe a set of rules regarding the how and the what and why of how that should happen. And when others don't do that, what do we do? We question them. You're a poor excuse for a parent. You don't do that. That's legalism. Do you see how slippery it is? <clears throat> and please understand, I'm not mocking anyone. I'm not, not trying to step on your toes if, if, if you practice any of those personal uh, things there. Like the Pharisees, Christians set up some of these rules to help them walk in holiness, and that is honorable. It's honorable, but it becomes a problem when you begin to judge others by that standard that you set up. In other words, it starts out well-intentioned. You want to think right. You want to do right. You want to uh, be like Christ and honor Christ, and so you decide X, Y, and Z, and, but then where it gets shaky is you start to question others who don't quite do X, Y, and Z. You see, for a legalist, there's no gray area. Everything is black and white. Legalists fail to respect the category of Romans 14, which speaks about debatable matters. A debatable matter is an area of behavior, doctrine, or tradition on which Christians agree because a specific biblical absolute does not address it. It can be a matter of personal preference. It is not a matter of divine command. So the question that I need to ask myself, and I hope each one of you will ask yourselves, is what personal practices have you employed in your life to seek to walk worthy of Christ? And then correspondingly, which of those are you maybe tempted to judge others by? 
It's wonderful, it's great that you have developed these personal priorities, these personal practices to be more like Christ, but it's awful when you take those personal practices and judge others. Are there some of those personal practices that you partake to be like Christ that you are perhaps guilty of, tempted by, to judge others? So that's the first telltale symptom. The second one is this. You begin to look down at others. You begin to look down at others. Drop down to verse 6. Verse 6 says, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching... A man was there whose right hand was withered, so it was atrophied, it was, it was useless. And watch what it says in verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees, what were they doing? They watched him. They watched him, which means they watched him attentively, scrupulously. scrupulously. It wasn't some kind of passive or happenstance observation, but watching with a motive, hoping to catch him. Catch him to do what? What's it say? To see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. So here's the second symptom of a legalist. A legalist is always on the lookout for someone else's sin. A legalist is always kind of scanning the horizon for someone's sin, someone's failure to measure up to their rules, rules that aren't even in the Bible, but always spying on the behavior and beliefs of the other person to root out the slightest deviation from their tradition. You see, and this this is crucial, a legalist loves the rules, not the person. A legalist sees everything through legalist eyes. They see rules and regulations. Are are you keeping up with these rules and regulations? They don't see the person. They just see the rules. A legalist is always looking for what is wrong in someone else's life to judge them instead of looking for what is right in order to encourage them. Someone could be doing well in 95% of their life, but if that 5% they're not quite doing right, the legalist will jump on that and see that, and because of that will undermine all 95%. That 95 doesn't matter because that 5% you're not doing that right. We see the same attitude in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to kind of walk through it and summarize it quickly. But Luke 18, 9 through 14, that's, that's where Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple to pray. Remember that? The Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee passionately thanked God that he is not like other people. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You hear how self-righteous he is? And simultaneously judging others? I think I'm not like them. They don't even fast twice a week. That's the spirit of the legalist. 
Even while he's praying, he's observing the tax collector and condemning him. That's awful. Always looking to see how others fall short. But the tax collector, he couldn't even lift his gaze to heaven, Jesus says. He was so crushed by the weight of his sin that he didn't even dare lift his eyes up to God. Instead, it says he beat his breast and pled for mercy, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. At the end of the story, Jesus drops the bomb by saying, I tell you, the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. Those are powerful words from the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, it's so easy, again, to sit there or stand here and think that, well, I'm not like the Pharisee. But remember how slippery it is? Remember how slimy it is? Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm so glad that I don't parent like that person. I'm so glad I don't spend my money on things like that person spends their money on. I'm so glad I use my extra time to serve more. I'm so glad I don't watch those kind of shows. I'm so glad I don't listen to that kind of music. I'm so glad I keep myself in better shape. I'm so glad I don't eat the food that that person eats. How much are you all hating me right now? <laughs> How many toes am I, am I stepping on? What? You mow your lawn on Sundays? You watch sports on Sundays? You play sports on Sundays? What? You're a Christian? You don't wear a coat and tie on Sundays? I got my eye on you. All right, I'm watching you. That's, that's what they do. They watch. I've noticed you don't use the same Bible translation as I do. I, I've noticed you've been wearing some questionable things. I, I've noticed that tattoo you're trying to hide. I saw you don't take notes while pastor is preaching. In fact, I saw you were kind of staring at the back of your eyelids there for a little bit. I saw your foot starting to move during that song at church. Is it true you guys aren't hymns only? I've noticed that you don't always close your eyes when you pray. Don't you love God? Such is the energy that drives the spirit of legalism. Instead of enhancing and developing and strengthening relationships, legalism stifles and crushes and kills relationships. It divides and destroys because, again, legalism becomes that by which you view everything. You look and judge others, even yourself. Many who struggle with legalism have fallen into bondage and self-condemnation. That's the second symptom. Here's the third one. The third one is you are blind to your own faults and failures and the needs of those around you. Jump jump back to verse 3. Remember that the Pharisees have just accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, and, and Jesus calls them on it. Jesus answered them, have you not read? Don't you love that he goes back to Scripture? What's the cure for, for legalism? Go back to Scripture. Go back to Scripture. Have you not read? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him. 
how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. You, you can read more about that in 2 Samuel 21. You can write that in the margin or if you have a study Bible. I'm sure it's already there. I'm just going to try and summarize that for you quickly. David was, if you remember, running away from Saul, running for his life, and he comes to a place called Nob. Don't you love that? Nob. Where do they come up with these names? Nob. And that's just north of Jerusalem, a little bit north of Jerusalem. David and his people were hungry, so they entered the tabernacle looking for food. While there, they meet a priest named Ahimelech. Remember Ahimelech? Not the greatest, not the greatest guy. Uh, they asked for five loaves of bread, but the only bread available was the consecrated bread, or what it calls the bread of the presence. Remember, the bread of the presence could only be eaten by the priests. David was not a priest, nor were the men who were with him. They were just hungry, yet still Ahimelech gave them the bread, and they were full. So part of the principle that Jesus is bringing out here is this, this rule, this principle that Jesus is teaching is mercy or compassion is more important than strict adherence to the law. That legitimate human need superseded the letter of the law, that people take precedence over ritual. But the Pharisees are so filled with man-made rules and so filled with self-righteousness that they're blind to their own lack of mercy and compassion for others. They are filled with condemnation instead of compassion. Remember what I said before? Legalists are all about rules. They don't care about the person. It's about rules. It's like Matthew 7 where Jesus warns about the, the guy who has a huge log like sticking out of his eye, right? But from, he can spot that splinter in your eye way, 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 way in the back. So legalists tend to be hypocritical of Christians or, and churches that don't share their elevated opinion and simultaneously remain blind to their own remaining sins and weaknesses. You see it again in verses 8, and 11, 8 through 11. Remember, Jesus uh, is there being watched by the Pharisees to see if he will dare heal this man with a withered hand. So verse 8, Jesus says, he knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew it was a trap. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and, and stood there. And Jesus said to them, which is interesting, he says to them, I ask you, piercing question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? <laughs> the, the Pharisees are trapped because if they say the, that it's lawful to do good, then they have no reason to condemn Jesus, right? But there's no good way out for them here. If, if they say that it is not lawful to do good, then they condemn themselves, Right? It's a trap. They tried to trap him. Jesus, I mean, that doesn't work. He turns it back on them. They're trapped. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Watch the reaction of the Pharisees. Verse 11. They were filled with fury. <laughs> Do you see? How they're blind to their own faults. They're blind to their lack of compassion. 
and simultaneously filled with hate and condemnation towards others who don't line up with them. What they should have done was fallen on their knees in praise and worship. The Messiah is here. He just healed that man's hand. They should have confessed their sin of condemnation and asked God to give them hearts of mercy. They should have rejoiced that good, not harm, life, not destruction had occurred. But legalism won't let you do that. Legalism is blind to your own failings, blind to the hurt and needs of others, and gets angry when God is gracious to them. Do you see how legalism is soul-crushing? With legalism, it's impossible to be joyful. With legalism, there's little to no love or joy or excitement about God and his ways. Legalism takes life out of you and makes your relationship with God and others a nightmare. So what do you say? Are you a legalist? Is the spirit poking anywhere, challenging you? I came across... Uh, this summary of legalism uh, by a pastor out in Pennsylvania, he categorizes the, the process that I just tried to lay out to you with using four C's. He says legalism it kind of becomes a slippery slope through these four C's. You're convinced, you crusade, you condemn, you compensate. So those are the four C's of legalism. Convinced, Crusade, condemn, compensates. Then he says this, a believer becomes convinced about a particular issue. He or she believes that she has found solid biblical supports for her position on the matter. Although he or she cannot point to a direct statement of command, she fortifies her position with biblical principles that in her mind clearly affirm her opinion. So there she is, she's convinced, or he's convinced. Then this person moves on to crusade. This person begins to crusade the issue about which he or she is convinced. It's not enough for this person to personally arrive at such a conclusion. This person feels a need to make sure everyone else knows the truth that this person has discovered. Things begin to deteriorate when the crusader begins to, what's the next C? Condemn those who do not see it their way. How could they be so indifferent? Don't they love Jesus? They wonder. Subtly and dangerously, the crusader often feels superior for having attained this higher level of obedience. But then consistent with legalism comes the next C, the C of compensation. The convinced crusader who condemns others is very often compensating for some area of his or her own life uh, that is inconsistent but equally obvious to others. I thought that was an excellent summary of legalism. I wonder, again, think about it. Have you seen that process in your life? Are you a legalist? Are you an accidental legalist? Are you a recovering legalist? There's hope, there's a cure. Look at verse five. Jesus says something amazing. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I wish I had been there when he said that. And see the face of the Pharisees. Man, that would have been good. 
Jesus is saying, I'm God. Do you remember Genesis? You read about six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. That's talking about me. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> I'm that guy. You know when it says that God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy? I'm that guy. I did that. I'm the one who said that. I created the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my day. The Sabbath is about me. I'm the boss of the Sabbath. I'm the master of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. If David violated the commandment and was free of the law's constraints, how much more am I, the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath? Quite frankly, don't try and tell me how I should live on the day that I created. That's what he's saying. What I say goes on the Sabbath, I'm free to do on it with it as I please. And so the burning question is, will you continue in your legalistic man-made rules and regulations, or will you follow the Lord of the Sabbath who sets you free from those man-made rules and regulations? Jesus, not man-made rules, rules over us. It's back on. <clears throat> Jesus gives a spiritual Sabbath as we pause for our own Sabbath uh, during, during this time. All right, are we all rested? Was that long enough of a, of a Sabbath? That will not become a rule every week that we do that. <laughs> But Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, also gives us a Sabbath rest. In Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, he says these amazing words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and as Lord of the Sabbath, he's offering you his rest. He's able to do that because Jesus Christ was sent to earth for sinners like you and me. He lived a perfect life. He kept every jot and tittle of the law perfectly. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And at the end of his life, the Pharisees accomplish what they want to accomplish. They kill him. Jesus dies on the cross, but dying on the cross, he fulfills the law, and he absorbs every bit of wrath of judgment that you and I have coming to us. He becomes a curse for us, that through him we might be redeemed, pardoned from sin. Jesus paid it all becomes our cry. He cried out on the cross to tell us, it is finished, meaning we can now rest in his finished work once and for all. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It is not one day a week. It is our life. It is not about rules and regulations, but what Jesus has done once and for all. So when you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, you are given the peace of God because your sins are forgiven and you are reconciled with him. But the warning is still there. If you refuse, if you fail to turn from your sin, the condemnation of God rests upon you. So the cure for legalism is recognizing that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, he has offered you peace because he's fulfilled the law. He is our Sabbath rest. 
So put off legalism, be set free by Christ. He is the one who established the Sabbath. He is the one for whom it was established. He is the one to whom it pointed. He is the one who fulfilled it. Now catch this. I love this next part. As the Lord of the Sabbath, as our rest, as our peace, he is also our defender. And I want you to see that in not just our text, but in a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Jesus going to the party, he has a party with Levi. And while he's at that party with Levi, well, not while he's at it, probably after, the Pharisees, remember, they were watching, they saw that Jesus, he's that guy, he's at that party, he shouldn't be at, right? They see the rules, not the person. So what do they do? They go to the disciples. Remember that? They go to the disciples and begin to question them, right? Pick that up uh, back in verse 33. I'm sorry, back in verse 30. Jesus calls Levi, has, has a party of Levi, verse 30. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So, the Pharisees begin to attack the disciples. That's weak, right? Jesus does it. They attack his disciples. Jesus answers, right? Verse 31, Jesus answered them. You see that? See, when when you begin to break free from legalism and walk in the spirit of Christ, others begin to try and pull you back in. No, 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 don't do that. You don't get it. You, You need to come back in and follow these rules. And that's what the Pharisees are trying to do. And they try and do that with the disciples. And Jesus answers. He's their defense. He does it again in our text. The Pharisees directly accuse the disciples. Verse 2, some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answers, have you not read? In both texts, no sooner did the Pharisees accuse than the Lord Jesus Christ took up their cause and defended them against their accusers. I'm sharing this to say, do you ever have times where skeletons in the closet or, or Satan who is the accuser or others try and condemn you and you feel condemned? Do you ever have those times? Especially, again, as you break free from legalism, uh, there's a tendency to want to fall back into it because, it's honest, it's, it's a little more easy and comfortable sometimes. And there's a, a temptation to want to defend yourself. What I'm trying to help you see is Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath says, no, you find your peace and rest in me. I'll defend you. I answer for you. I'm your righteousness. I'm your peace. I'm your rest. Look to me. Look to me in all those things. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
who is to condemn Christ? Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's Romans eight thirty-one and following. So when my adversary, the devil, or when my old legalistic spirit seeks to accuse me or condemn me, when others try and condemn me because I'm not keeping their homemade rules, here's how you respond: Jesus is my defense. He's my righteousness. He's my peace. He's my Sabbath peace. He's my Lord. I answer to him. He defends me. He is, he's my all. He's my sufficiency. I delight in him. I know I'm not perfect. In fact, if you knew the real me, you know I'm, I'm way worse than you think that I am. But Jesus, he's perfect, and he's my righteousness. He defends me. He loved me. He died for me. And so I will consistently and constantly and relentlessly look to Christ and his finished work on my behalf. And that truth compels me to want to walk worthy of him. And that truth compels me uh, to want to be kind and loving and patient with those around me who are struggling and hurting and needing help. I don't know if any of us here, most, I'm sure some of us are, maybe many of us are familiar with Amy Carmichael. Uh, she wrote a prose poem called If. And I just want to wrap up by, by reading what, what she writes. She writes, If I belittle those who I am called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast perhaps with what I think are my strong points, if I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting that God made us different and he has given me all that I have, that I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily, do you do that? Do you take offense easily? If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitter towards those who condemn me, as it seems to me unjustly, Forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more. I know nothing of Calvary love. Man, that's powerful. Oh, be set free from legalism. Know his Calvary love. Now it sets you free to love him and delight in him and sets you free to love others regardless if they love you or not. You can even love your enemies. And you're set free by the Lord of the Sabbath. So how are you living your life? Are you living your life looking at people through legalistic eyes or are you loving people through the loving eyes of Jesus Christ? That's the challenge of Luke 6, 1 through 11. All God's people say, amen. amen. Bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that there is more of the Pharisee in us than we want, Father that it is so easy to fall into this list of do's and don'ts. That it's so easy to kind of check or mark my spirituality based on that. It's so easy to judge others based on it. Oh Lord, forgive us. And oh Lord, we praise you for Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, who set us free with the perfect law of liberty made us partakers of the new covenants, given us your spirits, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, 
set free to serve you and to serve others joyfully, delightfully. What an amazing God you are. Teach us, Father, strengthen us, Father, to look at others through the loving eyes of Jesus, not through rules, not through regulations, but to look at them with compassion, not, not condemnation, to love others as you have loved us. Lord, when the condemnation from others comes, when Satan tries to accuse us, Lord, help us to consistently, constantly look to you, to find our sufficiency in you, to be reminded that you are my defense, you are my righteousness, my hope, my all, my everything. Hope that to be our theme, our life, uh, that which compels us day by day, moment by moment. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.